The Old Testament scripture reading for us, as well as our sermon text, comes from Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But then the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your house may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Strike out your staff or stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with a staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats became upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and unto your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord 
did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Thus ends our reading this morning. Let's go now to our God in prayer once more. Lord, as we come before you, we ask that you would make your word clear to us, that you would uh, give your speaker clarity of thought and insight into your word to proclaim it, and that you would give us hearts, ears to hear, that we might hear and understand, and indeed know that you alone are God. We pray that you would do these things for us and feed us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, I uh, visited a library, and uh, as I was walking around, I picked up uh, a titled comic book that caught my attention called Preacher. Uh, you know, when you're a preacher, certain things just fascinate you, and this is one of them. Uh, and it turned out to not be what it seemed at all, uh, but it is a story of a preacher who, when he speaks, has the power to command men to do whatever he asks, not just suggest something, not just to encourage, but whatever he commands someone to do, they are bound to obey him even against their own desires. He is a mere man who basically has been given the power of Almighty God to speak and have his voice be obeyed. And you can hear intentional parallels to Jesus who speaks and even the wind and waves obey him. Clearly, this is a power that belongs to God only. And yet, here we see a mere man who has it. And the story takes a turn for the worse because this preacher is on a mission to find the God who made him and to make him pay for how he worked in this world for all the suffering that has been brought on humanity by this loving God and to ultimately undo God with his voice. That is his goal to even kill God with it. And however strange, absurd, and even blasphemous this story may be to us, it is not an unfamiliar one. Because in many ways, it is our story. It is the story of the history of men. I mean, that that is a story we see repeated on the very pages of the scriptures themselves. We saw this several times before. When we were going through Genesis, we see this in the garden. When the first man refuses to believe the word of God and instead he did what was right in his own eyes, raising himself up to assume the very power of God himself to become a God and to do away with the rightful God. We see this at the Tower of Babel when men raised themselves up collectively to cast God down so that they could determine their own fate, so that they would be the end all be all in themselves. And we see this even today in our world, in this day and age, even in a comic book that is glanced at, you know, that teach us these things, these doctrines of men that teach us we are the masters of our own fate, the captain 
of our soul. And no one will tell us otherwise, not even God himself. And as disturbing as it might be, this is not a new thing that men believe they have the power of God. And in fact, this reality cuts to the heart of what we see in our text this morning. This theme that runs through all the plagues of Egypt, this question of who has the power of God, who is ultimately in control of this world, and who's just pretending. And I know that is a question that we have seen before over the past several weeks as we look to these plagues, but this morning it will be answered in a new way by him who alone is the Lord of all creation. The text opens up this morning, and the first thing we see is the undoing of a false god. The undoing of a false god. Now, as we come to our text, to this text, we're going to be looking at it more thematically uh, and trying to see the themes that run through not just these particular three plagues, but throughout all the plagues, because uh, like we said last week, otherwise this will get very repetitive very quickly. So here we see in the plagues this theme of the undoing of a false god. And in some way, we've known that this is what is happening in the book of Exodus, in this account of Exodus. We've seen the writing on the wall long ago. We've seen Pharaoh acting like he is God from the very beginning of this book, seeking total and absolute control over the people of Israel. He has set himself up in such a way that assumes total and complete authority over all men in all matters. We've seen him presented as one claiming to be the only God of the land. But Pharaoh, he's more than just a false god. And that will come out in our text in the way God responds to him especially, in the way God uh, uh, will answer him. Pharaoh is an anti-god. What do I mean by that? He is totally opposed to the living and true God. Like when John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 that an antichrist is one who is opposed to or denies the Father or the Son. Well, that's Pharaoh here. He is against everything God is and does, and his actions speak to that truth. You remember how Pharaoh acts at the very first chapter of Exodus. At the very beginning, Pharaoh goes to war against the Lord. He is actively waging war against the creator of the universe. And in that war, Pharaoh reveals himself not only to be totally opposed to God, but the opposite of God. To be, uh, uh, yeah, his opposite. If God is black, Pharaoh is white. If God is up, Pharaoh is down. If God is the God of life and the giver and sustainer of life, the creator who brings peace, all these things that we know of God, then Pharaoh, as he reveals himself throughout Exodus, is the destroyer. He is the God of slavery and of death and destruction. And what comes out here in the Exodus is that if God is the creator, Pharaoh is then an anti creator. He does not bring life. He destroys it. He ruins it. Again, going back to the beginning of Exodus, you'll remember what Pharaoh does when he sees the people of God, the people who belong to God, and they are prospering. They are abounding in life. They are living the abundant life in some sense. 
And Pharaoh looks upon it and he becomes death, if you will. He throws all the male children into the Nile. He becomes an anti-creator, snuffing out the life that has been given and blessed by God. Now, why does that matter? You know, why bring this up now if Pharaoh is an anti-creator? I mean, what's the point? It all seems very heady and complicated. Why bother understanding this? Well, as you come to the plagues of Egypt, as this battle is being fought between God and Pharaoh, as it is being waged, this war, you have to ask yourself the question, why is God doing this? Why is God going through these motions? Truly, you know, we go through all of this and we see it kind of as stage play, if you will. We already know how this is all going to turn out in the end. God has already told Moses multiple times that Pharaoh will repeatedly harden his heart and he will not let the people go, but eventually he will do so at God's command. We've seen the sign of the snakes beforehand, how God will swallow up his enemies in complete and total victory, and they will be defeated in his power and in his might. So why in the world then, if we already know the end of the story, if we already know what is going to happen, why in the world would God sort of stretch this out? You know, it's kind of like a football team, you know, the score is 43 nothing, and they keep playing for the final quarter, and you know how that's going to end. Uh, but yet, they play it out as, as on a stage. What is the point here to that end then, as God continues to go through the motions of all of these plagues? Well, these plagues, they aren't just plagues and wonders, but they are signs. And What does a sign do when you're driving down the road and you see a sign for McDonald's? You know, you don't stop at the sign to eat, because the sign's job is to point beyond itself to some greater reality, you know, to point beyond itself to the actual reality, the actual restaurant. And so when we look at these plagues of frogs and flies and gnats or biting insects, we are asking, what is it that God is pointing toward with these signs? What would he have us see about himself in particular? And it is when we ask that question that we see the God of all creation is undoing Pharaoh through creation. The God of all creation is undoing Pharaoh through creation. I know that is long thought. But let me explain. What we are seeing this morning, what we must hear, is the way the Lord battles against this Pharaoh, the way that the Lord rebukes Pharaoh, the means that he uses to undo Pharaoh, the way that he puts all things in his rightful place or in their rightful place as he is their creator and we are all his creation. The way he will judge Pharaoh is by reminding him who God truly is and that he is truly a God of creation. He will show us that he alone is the Lord of creation. He alone sets the boundaries of the seas and all that is contained in them. He alone sets the boundaries of the earth and the air, and he shows us in these plagues the way he shows that he is the Lord of creation is by undoing the very boundaries that he has set. 
God will come into Pharaoh's territory, this land that he supposedly is over and rules supremely, and he will undo all the boundaries that only a God can set in place. And he goes to the creation of this world and he alters the very natural bounds in his judgment upon this earth. Just listen to what you see happen in this text. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, if you don't let my people go, God will send frogs and he will send them all over your land and they will be everywhere. They will be in your house and in your land and in your bedroom and in your bed itself. You won't be able to sleep because of these frogs. You won't be able to eat because they will be in your ovens and in your kneading bowls. In fact, the land, he tells us, will be teeming with frogs. Now that word for teeming, we've heard it before. It's not a very commonly used word, but we have heard it back in Genesis 1 when our God uh, is the God of creation and he fills the waters. And the waters are said to be teeming with life. And God has set their boundaries. And here, God is removing that very boundary that he set on them at the creation between removing the boundary between land and sea. And he says, your land now is going to be teeming with the life of the sea. And the sea will swarm upon the land. The boundaries of nature are broken completely and entirely. Something that only God can do. God says, I will undo my boundaries on this creation in order to undo you, Pharaoh. I know, again, this is nothing new. When God brings judgment upon the world, this is one of the things that he does. He upsets the natural boundaries of nature. The flood of Noah's day. If you look back to that, it was a judgment upon all the earth that God is judging the world. And it is a judgment that comes when God removes the boundaries of the waters that he has set for them. He removes those boundaries, showing that he alone contains the waters of the earth. And and he does this here. It is the same thing here. The God who created the world, who set the boundaries of these sea creatures, he will break it in order that Pharaoh would know that the Lord is the God of all creation. And this judgment will fall upon him. And God will do this again with the next two plagues as well. Aaron strikes the dust of the earth and he strikes the land, if you will, and the dust of the the very dust of the earth becomes gnats or biting insects of some kind. Creatures of the earth fill the land of Egypt. In fact, some people think this is lice, the way that it is described. And then God brings after that, he brings a plague of flies upon the Egyptians. Flies who will swarm in the air and be a nuisance and a bother and 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 uh, uh a constant threat against the people of Egypt. What you're seeing when you see all three of these is that all three dominions of God's creation, the dry ground of which the gnats come from, the sea from which the frogs come from, and the air from which the flies come from, all three of these dominions that God has set and then filled with life in the very first week of creation, God brings these dominions and he brings them against Pharaoh in judgment, saying by it, I will undo. 
do creation itself against you. That will be the judgment that you will undergo, that you will endure. For I am the God of creation. I control it all and you do not. And at each point in the story, we are struck by this creational language. It is all over the place. It's very uh, unusual how loaded the text is with this creational language. In the frogs, Aaron stretches out his hand over the waters and life comes forth. And you're reminded again of Genesis 1, how the Spirit of God hovers over the waters just before he brings order out of chaos. Only this time, God brings chaos out of order. He brings judgment out of natural harmony. And you see this judgment language. When Pharaoh speaks to Moses about getting rid of the frogs, Interesting, by the way, you know, the magicians, they have the power to make frogs just like the last time. But when Pharaoh wants the frogs to be gone, he goes to Moses, not the magicians. You know, it's almost this middle that, uh, admittance that they have no power of creation. And Pharaoh knows it. But when Pharaoh pleads for God through Moses to relent with the plague of frogs, Moses tells him, you will ask God to turn aside the frogs, to turn it aside again. This is something we'll see again when God will turn aside his judgment against the people of God because of the blood of the lamb that is shed and placed on the doorposts. God is bringing judgment against Egypt here. And just like when Pharaoh judged that Israel was a stench in his nostrils, God would make the whole land of Egypt, the whole people, the whole of the land, everything that is wealth, dwelling within it, it will become a stench to him. We see this even in the piles of the frogs. And God, as he does this, he is showing again and again that he alone is the Lord of creation. That he created and he can undo it at his own will and his own uh, uh, whim, I suppose. That is what is on display for us. The God who is the Lord of creation shows his power over it and the people of God and the pagans of this earth and all the earth, in fact, will know and will see these signs and they will know that he alone is the God of creation, even to the point where the magicians after imitating some of these signs and wonders by their dark arts, eventually say, behold, this is the finger of God on display. Just as Luke 11 says, the kingdom of God has come and it is coming upon you, Pharaoh. You have been found wanting because God's little finger is more powerful than all that you will ever do in your life, more powerful than all of humanity combined. And as you come to the culmination of all these plagues, this whole and total judgment God is rendering upon Pharaoh and Egypt, they will ultimately and finally be undone. For what do you see when the plagues have run their course? What is the picture that all of these plagues are bringing forth? As you come to the end of the plagues, we see the land of Egypt become devoid of livestock, for they will die very shortly. It becomes devoid of vegetation for the uh, uh, hailstones will destroy the crops and what the hailstones do not, the locusts will devour. The people are undone and even removed from the land 
and it all moves into darkness and ends with a watery grave. Creation is reversed, if you will. Instead of all things coming from a spirit that hovers over the waters and in the darkness and bringing light out of the darkness, it is turned completely on its head. It is moving into blackness. And that may seem odd to our ears, but this is the promise of God that he has made concerning the world. When sin entered into it, he must and will bring it to its end. The world will end in judgment for its sin, and it is its undoing. This is the promise of the flood, the picture of the flood of what is coming. This is even the promise of the garden when God says, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die, you and all of this very creation with you. This world will end in judgment for our sins, raising ourselves up against God to be our own gods. And it will all fade to black. C.S. Lewis pictures the end of all things this way when he writes in the last battle as Narnia comes to its end. He says, on the earth was all blackness. And then he gets descriptive about how the stars fall from the sky, leaving nothingness behind. And then the waters who had known their boundaries cover the whole of the earth. Again, a watery grave. And finally, a sleeping giant named Father Time wakes up and he stretches out his hand to squeeze the sun like an orange until it goes out. And instantly, there is total darkness. And the world lies dead, covered in its watery grave. We see this in Narnia and what the future holds is for this world. I mean, that illustration that C.S. Lewis is describing, he isn't doing it just for fun. It is the end that the scriptures drive to. The end of this world will be that it will all fade to black. And what we see here is God's demonstrating this morning, as one minister of the gospel says, that the God of creation is judge of all the earth because it is his. It belongs to him alone. You see, he alone is the Lord of creation and God will undo his created order to bring his judgments. He will do so in order to make known to Pharaoh and to all the earth, to all who would see these signs that he is the Lord over all and it seems as though the magicians have the clearest assessment of what is happening here, that all that they have been witnessing, all that they see with their eyes is the finger of God at work in this world. As Psalm 104 says, he is touching the mountains and they will smoke. He is barely lifting a hand and all of these things come upon uh, Egypt in judgment. And again, we might not like to think of it. But when it is time for God's judgment of this world to finally come, this is what he will do. He will undo his creation. What does all that have to do with you, with us, people of God? I mean, all of this talk, all of these plagues, we see God coming to judge the enemies of God. We see him coming to ultimately undo those who have raised themselves up as God to seek 
and seek to cast God down because his little finger is more mighty than the might of all the works of men combined? Clearly, God's power is made known in this decreation and the judgment reserved for the world at the end as Revelation reminds us. And yet, what does that mean for you, people of God? You see, people of God, this is only half of the coin. This is one side to the story. And we focused on this one half this morning because in these plagues, God is undoing his creation. He is bringing judgment upon the world. That is what the focus of the text is. But he is also at the same time doing something new for the people of God. You'll notice in the text that though all of these things are taking place against the world, what does he say about the people of God? He says, I will not let these plagues touch them, them or anywhere in the land of Goshen. I will put a hedge around them. There will be a difference between my people and the people of this world because though Egypt will go down to its watery grave and face the final judgment of God, Israel will be spared entirely and completely. They don't undergo any of these literally hellish plagues. In fact, they pass through the very waters of God's judgment and come safely to the other side bearing witness to God's judgment on his and our enemies. And God will begin a new creation in them, even as he begins a new creation in you through the cross. Surely, Paul is right when he says, you are a new creation in Christ because God's judgment, the judgment of God that was reserved for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the judgment reserved for the world, including you, has been removed in Christ. In Christ, that judgment was taken down with him into the grave. And then Christ rose again and he brought with him a people who would enter into a new world as his new creations. A new heaven and a new earth is promised unto them. You see, people of God, though we see God's judgment on full display in the plagues of Egypt, we also, when we consider how we ought to respond to this reality, we ought to see and how we ought to live in light of this truth. We who are in Christ have been called out of darkness and into his glorious light. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. You see, we who are on this side of God's judgment, who have passed through the very waters of the Red Sea, as we pass through them in Christ, we can see the good news of the gospel is that the Lord of all creation, the Lord who will use all of his resources, all that is at his fingertips, he will use them in order to redeem his people and to bring them safely through the waters of judgment. And he will bring them into his new creation, a world without sin, a world where our God alone is God. And there is no question to that issue at all. You see, people of God, we must look at the world that we live in through eyes that see first the end of all things where this world is headed. Because knowing what he has begun in this world and where he will go with it shapes you 
and how you live and how you go out into this world, indeed how you understand all things about yourself, your identity is one who has been spared the judgment you have passed through the death of this world and have been made new in Christ. You belong to him and he is yours and everything that we see in this world must be seen through that particular lens. For when we see it, when we know his power over all this creation and his power over you and in you, we see the finger of God being displayed and the kingdom of God coming upon us in his power, in his might, in the redemption that is purchased through Christ. You see, people of God, as we know these truths, as we come to understand these truths, that we are being made new, that the old has passed away, and with it the judgments that are against the people of God, it shapes everything about who you are. It shapes how you understand this world. People of God, may you go forth seeing the world through these eyes. May you see and know what it is that the finger of God does in judgment and in redemption on your behalf. And that he is working all things together for our good and indeed for his glory, even as he comes to undo the world in his judgment. People of God, may you know these truths and rest in them, knowing that our Lord is the Lord of all creation. And that is the most comforting news there is. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and these things are hard for us to see and to understand, but we pray that you would help us to understand, to help us to know how these truths penetrate into our lives, the reality that you are God of this creation, that you are Lord over all things, that you will undo it in judgment and that you will deliver your people through judgment. Father, help us to see the wisdom of you, the wisdom of God displayed especially in the folly of the cross, the chaos and darkness that Christ faced there as he Uh, uh, drove sin into its watery grave and then rose again victorious over it. Father, may that reality of who we are as Christians who have come through the judgment of God unscathed shape us. May we know the joy of the gospel. May we be thankful for all that you have done for us in Christ and may we in turn walk according to the laws and boundaries of the new world that you have given over to us, the ethics of the new world that you lay out for us, calling us to walk according to the calling by which we have been called. Father, help us to walk in your steps, to live according to the reality of the world to come. Help us to grow in our sanctification, to become conformed more and more into the image of Christ. We thank you for all that you do through Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.